Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So it is 8.40 p.m. Tuesday night. I have just arrived in Washington, D.C. from Des Moines, Iowa, where I was covering the Iowa caucuses. That was a mess. Now we are in the Times Washington Bureau to cover President Trump's final State of the Union of his first term. And I'm standing outside a giant conference room where about two to three dozen reporters and editors are gathered to watch, analyze, and fact check the president's speech. And we are headed into that room to kind of observe it all and to eat the barbecue that has been laid out there. A lot of brain power. Elizabeth, just let you know we're here. I know. I mean, everyone's under instructions to behave themselves. No, behave normally. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So the center of this room is a giant television screen tuned to CNN, which is carrying a view of the House chamber and lawmakers walking in, shaking each other's hands, and taking their seats. And it is panning up to show House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Vice President Mike Pence looking friendly, surprisingly friendly. How long is this speech going to be? Uh, we're anticipating about an hour and a half. Okay. But that's before the possible ad-libbing, so we don't know. The, 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 the short answer is we don't know. Okay. But so, long. We expect it to be long. So we'll see you at 1052. 1053. <laughs> 1054? Thank you, Maggie. Goodbye. Madam Speaker, the President of the United States. From New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, the president's third State of the Union address, Maggie Haberman, on what it tells us. It's Wednesday, February 5th. Maggie, it feels very hard to separate this State of the Union address from the moment in which it's being delivered. The day after Iowa kicked off the 2020 election to pick Donald Trump's Democratic opponent, and the day before the president faces a verdict in the Senate impeachment trial, which is put together quite a backdrop. Absolutely. And if you did not know that this was a State of the Union address, it felt like a campaign rally Hmm. at the very beginning. The president walks into the House chamber, and there's a very MAGA feeling right away as Republicans are clamoring to try to shake his hand. MAGA, make America great again. Make America great again, the president's slogan. The president then goes to the podium, and he hands Nancy Pelosi text of his speech, Mm -hmm. and she engages in what is a typical gesture, which is extends her hand to shake his, and he turns his back to her. And she quickly pulled her hand back, But the tone was then set. Right. And that was the moment where it felt like impeachment suddenly 
was present. Yes, impeachment was basically hanging over the entire event like a curtain, and it never lifted. And then Pelosi had her own dig. Traditionally, speakers of the House introduced the president by describing themselves as having the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the president of the United States. Right. That's not what Pelosi did this time. Members of Congress, the president of the United States. She said, members of Congress, the president of the United States. And that was all Donald Trump got. And so basically none of the honor, none of the pleasure, none of the distinct honor and pleasure. None of the words that are normally described as being attached to the dignity of this office. Mm. She chose not to do that. And then there was this return to the campaign theme, where even before he started speaking, Republicans in the chamber started chanting, four more years. Okay, so after that score settling, the speech begins. The vision I will lay out this evening demonstrates how we are building the world's most prosperous and inclusive society. That's right. And the president pretty quickly launched into essentially an advertisement for why he should be reelected. Mm. From the instant I took office, I moved rapidly to revive the U.S. economy. It was that the future has never been so bright. He was speaking in very grand terms about America. Our agenda is relentlessly pro-worker, pro-family, pro-growth, and most of all, pro-American. He described himself as essentially creating a much better America than the one he found. If we hadn't reversed the failed economic policies of the previous administration, the world would not now be witnessing this great economic success. And then he launched into exactly why that was. Mm -hmm. Since my election, we have created 7 million new jobs, 5 million more than government experts projected during the previous administration. And much of what he seemed to be talking about here is the economy. That's right. He talked about creating enormous numbers of jobs since he took office. He described it all as record-breaking. He talked about the unemployment rate being incredibly low. The unemployment rate is the lowest in over half a century. He talked about helping specific groups of people. The unemployment rate for women reached the lowest level in almost 70 years. Specifically women. The unemployment rate for African Americans. Specifically African Americans, specifically Hispanic, Hispanic Americans, Americans and, and Asian Americans. Has reached the lowest levels in history. These are groups, not coincidentally, whose support he would like in his re-election. So he is seizing on economic data that specifically targets key constituencies for his re-election. Correct. These are key demographic groups where he has seen his support since 2016 really go down hmm. and where he needs to see it go back up. He doesn't have to win them overall as blocks of voters, but he does have to shave off just enough from Democrats in specific states where he can win. And his advisors have told him the economy is his strongest calling card for re-election. And he clearly had that in mind as he stuck to this speech. In eight years under the last administration, over 300,000 working-age people dropped out of the workforce. In just three years of my administration, 3.5 million people, working-age people, have joined the workforce. And can the president take credit for all the economic data points he rattled off? And were they all accurate? There was definitely some um, fudging of numbers here or there, but the overall picture that he painted was as if he came in 
right after the fiscal crisis. It was actually Barack Obama who came in after Mm -hmm. the fiscal crisis and who did start the economic recovery. Now, this president has continued it. There is no question that he is overseeing a, a booming economy. But where it started and how it got to where it is now is a story where he paints it in an overly rosy light for himself. This is a blue collar boom. So he kind of excises the eight years of Barack Obama. Correct. We, we go a bit from 08 to, to now as if there was nothing in between except for his presidency. Okay, so where does the president go next? Janai's mom, Stephanie, is a single parent. She would do anything to give her daughter a better future. So then he started pointing to people who were in the crowd, uh, in the gallery, attending as guests of him or the First Lady. But Janiah, I have some good news for you, because I am pleased to inform you that your long wait is over. And he took it to a different level that we haven't seen before, which was much more the reality TV level and the showman and the star of The Apprentice. There was a young girl who was given a scholarship, part of a new program that the White House is launching. And you will soon be heading to the school of your choice. This emphasized school choice. It emphasized his concerns about public schools. And she happened to be young and African-American. Almost every American family knows the pain when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious illness. The blow-away moment for a lot of people was he pointed to Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country. The conservative radio host who announced this week that he has lung cancer, advanced lung cancer, who clearly looked frail, standing next to the First Lady. I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And the president not only announced that he was giving him the Medal of Freedom, which is an incredibly high honor, I will now ask the First Lady of the United States to present you with the honor, please. He had the First Lady literally put the medal on Rush Limbaugh. I don't think we've ever seen one given at the State of the Union before. Rush and Catherine, congratulations. Thank you, Catherine. And this was really tapping into this base of conservative radio listeners, conservative media ecosystem supporters who the president has and who he has relied on since 2016. War places a heavy burden on our nation's extraordinary military families, especially spouses like Amy Williams from Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And then there was the most gut-wrenching one, which was the president pointed to the wife of a soldier who was in the gallery, and he told her that he knew that her husband had been overseas. For the past seven months, she has done it all while her husband, Sergeant First Class Townsend Williams, is in Afghanistan on his fourth deployment in the Middle East. Amy's kids haven't seen their father's face in many months. And the big reveal was... But Amy, there is one more thing. Tonight we have a very special surprise. The doors to the gallery opened. I am thrilled to inform you that your husband is back from deployment He is here with us tonight, and we couldn't keep him waiting any longer. And he came down the stairs, and there he was. The soldier. The soldier. And there was this surprise reunion that he was now home. Welcome home, Sergeant Williams. Thank you very much. Right, which is the stuff of kind of daytime television, Oprah-style, heart-wrenching, beautiful reunions of soldiers and their spouses, but not typically State of the Union. 
Oprah was literally what was going through my mind and I think a lot of other people's minds when we saw this taking place. You know, up to this point, Maggie, this is a pretty upbeat and positive speech at times, whether you thought it was over the top and like reality TV or not and very genuine moments of tenderness. That's right. There were moments of tenderness. There were moments of humanity. There were moments of what was clearly genuine heartfelt emotion on the part of the people in the gallery. The president stuck to the teleprompter. He didn't go off on his tangents as he often does. It was generally a pretty positive speech up to a specific point. We'll be right back. If you had more time in the day, would you take a nap, read a book, talk with a friend? When something's important to you, it's easier to make time for it. Therapy can help you decide what matters most. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash the daily today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash the daily. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. Maggie, you said that the State of the Union was positive up to a point. What was that point? That point was when he started going after Democrats in the chamber and Democrats outside the chamber who are running against him for president. And how did he do that? He started going after socialism, which has been a word he's been using a lot. Democracy, the United States is leading a 59-nation diplomatic coalition against the socialist dictator of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro. Right, there's a point where the president reaches out into the audience. Here this evening, it's a very brave man. And points to Juan Guaido, who is a legislative leader in Venezuela. Joining us in the gallery is the true and legitimate president of Venezuela, Juan Guaido, Mr. President. And says, you are the legitimate leader of that country. And then all of a sudden he mentions socialism in a way that doesn't necessarily seem like it's about Venezuela so much as perhaps the United States. Correct. He says socialism Socialism destroys destroys nations. nations. But always remember freedom unifies the soul. Now that's a reference to Venezuela. Then he starts talking about health care in the U.S. Mm -hmm. 
A good life for American families also requires the most affordable, innovative, and high-quality health care system on Earth. And what he's talking about, without saying it explicitly, but he's talking about the debate within the Democratic primary for president about the type of health care system the U.S. should have. But as we work to improve Americans' health care, there are those who want to take away your health care, take away your doctor, and abolish private insurance entirely. He's talking about folks like Bernie Sanders, the Democratic Socialist, Mm -hmm. who believes in an expansive government health care program. And President Trump was arguing against that, but in a very, very forceful way. 132 lawmakers in this room have endorsed legislation to impose a socialist takeover of our health care system, wiping out the private health insurance plans of 180 million very happy Americans. It's a clear attack on all of the lawmakers sitting there. To those watching at home tonight, I want you to know we will never let socialism destroy American health care. So after laying out a blueprint for his reelection, it feels like this part of the speech is a kind of frontal assault on the left wing of the Democratic Party and the left wing presidential candidates who he's going to face, potentially. He's very much laying out the message of why it is that those people are not safe choices. He doesn't know who his opponent is going to be yet, Mm -hmm. but he is trying to paint every Democratic candidate with the brush of socialism And that is what you are going to see for the next nine months. And this was the beginning of that path. What's interesting about this speech as a political document in the moment we're in, the beginning of the 2020 election, is that the president is not just seemingly appealing to conservatives with giving Rush Limbaugh a medal, for example, or attacking presidential candidates in the Democratic Party as radical left-wing figures. He also seemed to be reaching out to moderates with specific policy proposals. Right. To protect the environment, days ago, I announced that the United States will join the One Trillion Trees Initiative, an ambitious effort to bring together government and private sector to plant new trees in America and all around the world. There were a trillion trees. There was the child tax credit. Forty million American families have an average $2,200 extra thanks to our child tax credit. There was prescription drug prices. And I was pleased to announce last year that for the first time in 51 years, the cost of prescription drugs actually went down. Those were middle-of-the-road moderate proposals that would appeal to suburban voters Mm -hmm. who have been turned off by him. And then there was this very hard pivot to immigration, where he talked about ICE agents making arrests. Last year, our brave ICE officers arrested more than 120,000 criminal aliens charged with nearly 10,000 burglaries, 5,000 sexual assaults, 45,000 violent assaults, and 2,000 murders. He referred to, quote-unquote, criminal aliens. He talked about protecting the borders. Just 29 days ago, a criminal alien freed by the sanctuary city of New York was charged with the brutal rape and murder of a 92-year-old woman. The killer had been previously arrested for assault, but under New York sanctuary policies, he was set free. If the city had honored ICE's detainer request, his victim 
would still be alive today. This was some of the harshest rhetoric in his speech, but juxtaposed against everything else he said, Hmm. it was almost like a menu of options where different voters could hear what they wanted to hear in his words. What do you make of that, going from, you know, a child tax credit and planting a trillion trees to harsh language about undocumented immigrants? This is a pretty non-ideological president. He doesn't have a clear through line on what he thinks. And he has consistently, since we have covered him in the campaign prior to his becoming president, he has often said things that appear contradictory, but they allow different people to hear what they want and what he's saying. And if there was one thing that made them comfortable, he's going to hope they'll ignore the rest. So, Maggie, we started off talking about how the context here was election and impeachment. So I want to return to the idea of impeachment. Correct me if I'm wrong. The president managed to get through a 90-minute speech without either mentioning impeachment or making any veiled references to impeachment. It was really striking, Michael. We had heard earlier in the day that the president was not going to mention impeachment in this speech. He had apparently told the network anchors at a lunch he held with them at the White House that he wanted to speak about it after the vote on Wednesday. But it was really striking that he kept from mentioning it. He's so known for going off script. He never did. Why not? I think because it's not something he's proud of, and I think because he wants to keep it separate from this, which is supposed to be the argument for reelecting him, Hmm. and impeachment is not part of that. This was a laundry list of accomplishments, and this was a case for why his opponents aren't as good as he is. And if you take away all of the tweeting and the things he says and the attacking his rivals, if you took all of that away, he would be much higher in terms of approval ratings than where he is now. But where he is today is 49 percent in the Gallup poll. That's pretty high for where he's been. He doesn't need to bring that down by reminding people that he was impeached. So he doesn't bring it up. But at the end of the speech. Our spirit is still young. The sun is still rising. God's grace is still shining. It sort of felt like Nancy Pelosi did. What do you mean? The best is yet to come. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you very much. As the president was taking in his final applause and said thank you, she immediately started putting together the pages of his speech that he had handed her, and she started systematically tearing them up as the cameras rolled. And what did you read into that moment? Well, I read into that moment that she was pretty angry about how he had acted. I think she was pretty angry about the speech. And I think she wanted to telegraph that. She's going to face some blowback for that. I think she already is. But I think it was a moment that her members, for the most part, agreed with. Right. In the final moment of this State of the Union, it's like we're seeing the spectacle of what this presidential race and the next seven, eight, nine months are going to look like. President Trump, it seems, may not want to be talking about impeachment. He wants to just move on and run on a record. And Democrats, people like Nancy Pelosi, they want to be talking about things like impeachment. Nancy Pelosi likes to say that even with a Senate acquittal, which Mm -hmm. we expect to happen, clearly, he's impeached for life. That's on his record forever. The president will try not to talk about it, or he'll try to talk about it when it serves him. He'll try to use it to gin up his supporters and get them going at rallies. But in general, this is not a topic he wants to go near. And I don't think she's going to let him not talk about it. Mm -hmm. 
And so, of course, will his Democratic opponents. Right. His Democratic opponents are not about to let this go. And impeachment might be over as a trial, but it's not going to be over as a concept for the next nine months. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Michael. We'll be right back. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Here's what else you need to know today. On Tuesday night, after a major delay, Iowa Democratic Party officials released results from 71% of the precincts that participated in Monday's caucuses. A little later than we anticipated, but better late than never. Official, verified caucus results are coming in from the state of Iowa, and they show our campaign in first place. Those partial results showed former Mayor Pete Buttigieg with a narrow lead over Senator Bernie Sanders. Senator Elizabeth Warren was in third place, former Vice President Joe Biden was in fourth, and Senator Amy Klobuchar was in fifth. A campaign that started a year ago with four staff members, no name recognition, no money, just a big idea. A campaign that some said should have no business even making this attempt has taken its place at the front of this race to replace the current president with a better vision for the future. The next Democratic contest will be held in New Hampshire next week. And the Senate trial of President Trump will reconvene today at 4 p.m., at which point senators are expected to acquit him on two articles of impeachment in a party-line vote. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Bavaro. See you tomorrow. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from BlackRock. Hi, I'm Oscar Polito, host of The Bid, a podcast from BlackRock where we break down what's happening in the world of investing. On our latest episode, Gen AI Through a COO Lens, I sit down with BlackRock COO Rob Goldstein and lead technologist Lance Bronstein to discuss how business leaders are considering Gen AI to amplify human capabilities, upskill the workforce, and recalibrate approaches to client interactions. Listen to the episode on The Bid and subscribe for market insights from BlackRock's thought leaders.